One Giant Podcast coming to you live consistently with regularity on YouTube, where I'm Adam Marbrecht, and over there I'm joined by the ever-healthy, wealthy, and wise, Mr. Andrew Makowitz. Adam, it's going to be 84 degrees in the Meadowlands right by Giant Stadium today. Perfect time for me to go out and hit the links to calm the nerves before tomorrow night, which is your Super Bowl, your Christmas or Kwanzaa. We are almost, we're about, what, 36 hours away from knowing who the Giants will be taking at 11 or somewhere in the first round. That, that is correct, sir, because as we know, and we come in off of our Wednesday show, we'll all just quickly say, um, you know, things got off the rails in a hurry there. I'm not disgusted by the draft that I put out, but I think that the delicate balance of running something live and feeling like, well, I don't remember this being a part of the plan when I walked in the door. So as we work through today's mock draft that we're going to be doing, basically from the perspective of the Giants, right? Let's say that's Dave Gettleman sitting across from me, and I represent the young, vibrant, energetic Joe Judge. Um, but you mentioned they're heating up, heating up at just the right time, friends. As the draft approaches, things start to get a little bit spicy. Before we dive in, same type of format that we did on Monday for our individual ideas around the draft, but we're going to take this a little bit a little bit bigger picture here, a little bit broader. We're not going to necessarily be held to the draft board. We want to give you a sense of where the Giants could go, where we think their mentality is going to be, especially in the first round, and then really the second and third as well. These key areas where we, where we really think the Giants are going to address all the big needs or they're going to have some issues. Before we do, though, there is some big news around the top of the draft that involves the Atlanta Falcons. There's been speculation around what they want to do at the number four spot, and now you're hearing that they would be willing to, are interested in fielding offers potentially on one 32-year-old high-caliber talent, Julio Jones. What, what's your what's your stance on, on the Julio? Yeah, so I, I think this makes a ton of sense for the Atlanta Falcons. I think people have a problem with when you, when you say you're trading a really good player, people are like, why would you do that? And, and, you know, the Patriots have always been great about, you know, trading people away a year or two before that you really start seeing a decline and they, and they recoup a bunch of assets. Now, one of the interesting things that people keep talking about is that if Julio Jones gets traded after June 1st, his 23 million and a half dollar cap hit, 15 million of that comes off the books for this year. Yep. So, so it's, 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 it's a, it's a crazy number. And people are saying, so nothing will really happen with Julio on draft night. Cause you got to wait till June 1st. Nothing will be official. And Adam, I, I'm not understanding why people are saying this. It makes zero sense from the Falcons perspective to push 15 million of Julio Jones's cap hit into the next year. Remember, the Atlanta Falcons are basically starting over, right? They hired a new GM in Terry Fontenot, right? He, well, he got hired in January. Why is he going to continue to punt other people's mistakes and kick the can down the road when he could just trade Julio Jones on draft night and say, look, I traded him. We're taking a $23 million hit next year when we have cap space and we're going to be a better team. We're going to be able to compete more. And guess what? That draft pick that I got will now be able to, you know, be, be leveraged next season when we have cap space to sign other people. Oh, hundred percent. I think it makes all the sense in the world. I don't think though that the Atlanta Falcons are starting over though. I think what the Atlanta Falcons are, are doing is remember they have Calvin Ridley. I think that this is, they still believe that Matt Ryan has a few good years left in the tank but that Julio Jones at 32 years old is far closer to the end than the beginning. And there's been behind the scenes, right? He pushed to get become 
among the highest paid wide receivers a couple of years ago. That's where you ended up with this big cap number coming into this upcoming season. So I think they look at it as, remember, Kyle Pitts has been attached to them there at the fourth spot overall. If we can move off of Julio Jones or at least have the premise, right, we know we're going to move him in the offseason, save it at a, at a more reduced cap hit. And then we'll go ahead and replace him with a talented player like a Kyle Pitts. You still have Calvin Ridley. You still have a dynamic offense, right? So I think that the Atlanta Falcons are still going to look to be competitive here because I don't think what you're going to see is them go, say, quarterback at the fourth overall and really look to move the needle here, right? Other Because otherwise, different from Julio Jones, you would have moved Matt Ryan. He would have been gone already. You would have already moved off of him and established you're going for the young quarterback. Let this GM get rid of all the mistakes that were made previously. The idea that he's just going to move money and, and screw himself over when he can really make decisions, like doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So we, we, we won't, we won't debate the idea around how much money is worth to have on your books, how much dead cap money be worth it. And what would it free up for you now this season in the middle of the summer to maybe go out and make some other moves. But either way, I think we will see Julio Jones going somewhere sometime relatively soon. And some team, maybe the Jacksonville Jaguars, are going to get an incredible opportunity to bring in a high-talented player that still has, obviously, a big upside. I think the the little thing you keep in the back of your mind is Julio Jones has been injured, uh, obviously, nagging small injuries with consistency, and you wonder about that as he gets to 32-33. Okay, like we said, it's a Giants podcast. We go ahead and kick this thing off, though. We did our Monday uh, Monday mock draft we took a look at what we maybe would want to do and like i said ultimately what you're gonna get from us before the draft kicks off tomorrow is a collection of players that we think will be good fits throughout the first second third fourth round maybe even some late round guys too names to keep your eyes on we did uh, you know carter coughlin and xavier mckinney those are two names that i gave you last year now xavier mckinney was an easy one to give but i thought the giants would get him if he fell and then likewise with a carter coughlin so there's some sleeper picks out there that we've been able to provide for you we now come into this mock draft, though, saying we are. There's Dave Gettleman. Look, you're even wearing a – I feel like that's a nice little kind of a Dave Gettleman type of vest you got on there for the YouTube viewer. And and then you have Joe Judge, obviously, casual man, man of the people, casual, right, ready to jump on a ball and, and get hosed down. We're going to jump into this draft here, and at the first overall pick, so we run these simulators. I think let's start here. My belief is that the Giants legitimately are looking at I think one of two positions at the top of the draft, first and foremost, it goes away from what maybe you and I philosophically think. And that is either wide receiver. You've heard the rumors. Joe judge could very well love Devonta Smith or an edge rusher slash will throw linebacker because there's one clear name that stands out there at the 11th overall pick. As you get the ball rolling here and you come up on 11, just just flesh out your thoughts around it and, and where you think, as Dave Gettleman, the Giants are going to go. Yeah, so as Dave Gettleman, and that's the interesting thing about this, we, we had talked on our Monday show about what we want the Giants to do. If I'm Dave Gettleman and I'm sitting there at 11, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I drafted Andrew Thomas number four overall last year. He showed some promise. Uh, you know, Matt Pert, we, we mid-round pick, making sure that he gets up to speed. You know, he's working hard in the offseason. I'm excited about that. We just got Nate Solder back on a on a on a lower lower cap deal. What good veteran swing tackle presence. You know, I signed Zach Fulton as a stopgap at guard. I still have Shane Lemieux and Will Hernandez, who was a second round pick. Like I'm I'm feeling like my line is starting to come together and they just need a little bit more time. And I don't want to really put too many assets towards the line. So 
I, I don't think Dave Gettleman is necessarily thinking that tackle makes the most sense just mm-hmm. based on where he's invested his money. And then secondly, you know, Dave Gettleman's probably sitting there saying, you know, people said we weren't explosive enough on, on the outside. I went out and got the best wide receiver in on the entire market in Kenny Galladay. I, we needed more speed. I went out and I got John Ross. We needed, we needed some more pass, ca- pass catchers. I went out and got Kyle Rudolph. We have solidified this offense with Saquon Barkley coming back, a healthy Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton on the outside. I have done what I need to do to make this offense sing. And so really, I think Gettleman is looking and saying, I think we still can improve on the defensive side of the ball. And so at the 11th pick, my belief is that if Micah Parsons is there, the Giants are going to take him. His versatility inside to play next to Blake Martinez is unbelievable. He is He's a guy that's all over the field. He can get outside and he can find ways to get to the quarterback no matter where you put him you know, in that linebacking position. And that's the type of toy that Patrick Graham would love to be able to deploy on that defense. It, you know, the, the, the one knock is, is the off field stuff with Parsons. And that's why I've removed him from my board on what I want the giants to do. But when a talent like this comes along and and you have Patrick Graham screaming, we don't have edge rush. We need linebacking help. What can you do for me, Joe judge? This is the decision I think the giants go with. And it's interesting because there's no knock on it. We say the off the field stuff. If you feel comfortable with where he's at from a character standpoint for Parsons, then obviously he's an incredibly talented player. You go watch the tape. It's not just that, you know, you say he's going to need to develop on the outside as far as his edge rushing technique, but you, you've seen him in the, in the run support in the blitzing from the linebacker spot on the inside as the giants would have him in the three, four. He's a hell of a player, right? I mean, there's no two ways to slice it. And I think, you mentioned a couple of good things there, which is what what Dave Gettleman accomplished in the offseason and how how he perceives it. Right. If I, if I'm now if I'm saying from Joe Judge's mindset, though, uh, you know, one of the pieces you mentioned on the off you mentioned Austin side, but defensively a Dory Jackson. Right. So you've you've gone out and you've made yourself better and, you know, significantly better at the cornerback spot. The other rumor that we have heard is. What if a Sertan falls there, right? What if Sertan is available at 11? Would that push the Giants? And a conversation that I did start to have, and maybe that Patrick Graham would be having with Joe Judge and with Dave Kettleman would be, hey, I know that we're paying $13 million a year to a Dory Jackson. But if I told you that we can draft the future stud outside corner for our team, that in two years from now, when Bradbury and Adoree Jackson might be off the books, we're going to be ready to roll right over and get, you know, and get our next big wave on the outside an area. But by the way, up until Bradbury, we, we were just throwing stuff at the wall, right? Janoris Jenkins was the last guy that had any real stability for us and everything else has just been hit or miss. And we know the struggles going back to Gettleman and coming up to get a guy like DeAndre Baker. So I do wonder if that would play a factor here, if a guy like Patrick Sertan were available. The other pieces that you talk about are the wide receiver. And the question really becomes, too, in Joe Judge's mind, am I building for just right now this moment or for the big picture? And how do I feel about a player like Sterling Shepard? And even if I love Sterling Shepard, is he going to be here long term? Is Darius Slayton a fifth-round gem that we got really excited about? What is his ceiling? Because you can make the case that we're only one year away from the Giants having Kenny Galladay and some other things, right? We may be only a year away from Evan Ingram moving on in free agency. So it creates a, a real concern, I think, 
if I maybe did, if I maybe Joe Judge saying, I want to make sure that I have bullets in the chamber down the road here to, to make sure that we're still going to be high powered and not just this year, but two and three years down the road. So you went with Mika Parsons. I think it makes a lot of sense for me right now. I look at the draft board. Parsons is there. I'm going to say that the character piece plays a big factor. If not in Dave Gettleman's mind, who was willing to come up for a guy like DeAndre Baker, who had, as we had, we had talked about, right, red flags potentially. Joe Judge, you know, is not down with it. He's not down with the character flaws. So Parsons is there. If we agree that offensive line, at least at this point of the draft, is not as big a concern for the Giants as maybe it was for us, Sertan is available. I'm not going to take him here because I think you have the logic of saying, hey, if you've already accomplished what you did in the offseason, it has to have some weight for you, has to have some impact. But there is a team that I think would love to come up and get him, and that's the Arizona Cardinals here. So if I don't believe with the character flaws potentially around Parsons, the Arizona Cardinals, who would be desperate for a cornerback who are in win-now mode, they go ahead and offer me the 16th and 49th pick. I pull that trigger, and I move myself down a little bit into the draft. And then when I come back up at 16, guess what? I've got everything I could want there. Christian Darisal, if I want to go that route. Rashad Bateman is on the line there. Or I could even go into the edge rushing class. Now it's about value for me, and I want to make sure we move, start to move into the second round here. But now it's about value for me and what I can accomplish over this round, and then I have to think ahead to the second round and what I'm going to get there. In that regard, I, I think, yeah, now I'm, I'm the Giants here now. Vera Tucker's available, personally? Excites me. I've traded down, and I could also go get a guy like Vera Tucker and plug that. That would feel pretty good at that moment. (laughs) And by the way, thank you for saying something there, because I feel like for a stretch here, I basically turned this into a solo a solo podcast rant. So after the trade down, and it's sixteen. As Dave Gettleman, as Joe Judge, I look at and I say, Quiddy Pay is there. He's an edge rushing talent, sixteenth pick overall. I don't want to risk anything happening behind me here. As we've seen, guys like Osai are starting to move up some draft boards. We don't know what's going to be available at that second round. And even though I made a trade down and I could start to dance around the board, again, it always takes a partner to get those things done, right? So I get the edge rusher, I address that need, and I move myself into the second round. Yeah, I said it from the beginning that I thought Quiddy Pay was was the best uh, edge rusher in this draft, more than Ojolari and, and others. Um, I, I like the pick. Giants guy, right? I would be very happy if the Giants were to be able to address the edge rushing position early and also accumulate more picks to be able to move around the board, let you know the chessboard, so to speak. And so, Adam, I'm I'm all for that type of move. I, I'd be happy if the Giants went that way. Yeah, I think it works for them, and it addresses again one of the two big needs. And we talk about the so now we talk about the board in the second round. You've gone with it. We both gone with defensive playmakers, and theoretically, Parsons will be a contributor off that edge as he goes forward in his career. So now, second round comes up. Now I'm going to do a little bit of work here in the background to move up from a position in the draft and try to simplify things a little bit. But you come up at 42. Where does your mind go now, as Dave Gettleman? looking to build out this roster. You said, hey, uh, I I did the offensive line work. And by the way, there is this perspective around the NFL that if you think you have three solid linemen, all you need is two guys to fill in around them, right? And I wonder if the Giants right now maybe do feel that way where they're saying, hey, if I believe in Thomas Gates and Pert, that's three out of five, baby. So I don't necessarily need to to reach for any of these talents. But but are you influenced by what you're seeing on the board at 42? 
Yeah. So when, when I think about what's available around the 42nd pick, um, there's, there's two places that really come to mind. Uh, me as Dave Gettleman, I I've talked about how I've addressed the offensive line. I talked about how I've addressed wide receiver, but also when we think about what the needs are now, Micah Parsons has kind of solidified the linebacking portion of things. He gives us a little bit of pass rushing. I feel like I've done pretty good, uh, you know, on this defense. You look at our secondary, it looks great. We brought back Leonard Williams, so our, our defensive front looks good. I feel like we have the right pieces there. Now, I know you can never have too many pass rushers, and, and guys like Perkins are sitting there, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants even doubled down on, on a situation like that. Mm-hmm. But really, I think Dave Gettleman can go back and say, okay, if we do look at the offensive line, maybe it's not tackle. That, that I'm really interested in. Maybe it is the guard position that is more important. I didn't waste another first round pick on an offensive tackle or an interior lineman. I was able to get our defense, some pass rushing help and some linebacking help. So you look at Zach Fulton, he's kind of a journeyman. He's been around, bounced around a little bit. The giants only gave him, I believe a one-year deal. You have Will Hernandez. That's coming up towards the end of his contract. He might even be released. Zach, right? Zach Fulton is a poor man's Cam Fleming. You know yeah. what I mean? Just to give some perspective here, right? That's right. not what you want. And, and the only other guard we, we really think about is Shane Lemieux, who was a fifth-round pick. So I could see a, a scenario where the Giants are planning for now and the future, mm-hmm. where you look at someone like Wyatt Davis, um, you know, guard. He, he's big, strong out of, out of Ohio State. His pass-blocking metrics, according to everyone, is off the charts. You watch him. He was great. He was hobbled by some injuries, which is a concern for an offensive lineman. But, man, you bring him into that room and you have him compete, he could be a starting guard week one for the Giants. And if you're Dave Gettleman, you're saying, I really like Pert. I really like Thomas. I drafted them both. I have Solder as my swing tackle. I inherited you know, all, all this different stuff. I tried to cobble together my guard positions putting Wyatt Davis there along that offensive line. And he's basically crafted every single one of those positions with guys he's brought in. Yep. No, I, I like that a lot. And listen, um, the injury concerns around Davis certainly are something that are going to permeate, you know, throughout the draft. There's a lot of guys like this that get tagged with this. Dickerson is a guy who maybe would be going higher. And, and everyone's basically saying, yeah, first round talent, if not four, right. And when some, in some cases you got guys that have had multiple ACL tears or Ojalari, there's been some rumors that maybe he has some knee concerns. And I've heard a lot of fans say, oh, great. Maybe you'll fall to us then in the second round. And I'm like, Okay, I don't care when we take him. If he's got injury concerns, I don't want his injuries don't get less by by what round you take him in. So I think there's a lot of boxes to check here. So to to um to let you know what I ended up doing in the background. So I'm gonna stay at 42 and 49, but I've cleared up another area because I'm gonna go ahead and try to really attack this draft. And let me be clear too about the idea of trading down. I think this this would be the Joe Judge push for me, right? The New England Patriots in him that says, hey. You got to be willing to move around the board. You got to be willing to take what's there for you and try to create the best collection of talent. So in the background here, you can say I did this whenever in the course of the draft. I took 76 and 116, and I packaged that up with the Pittsburgh Steelers to get myself to 55. So now I'm 42, 49, and 55. Coming out of the first round, we went ahead and said we 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 like what we want to do here defensively. We know we need to get after the quarterback. We get quitty pay. Now it comes back to me as Joe Judge saying, but I told you, though, I was really in love with a player like Devonta Smith. Now, he wasn't there for us, but I do like the idea of getting a dynamic wide receiver and making sure we have the next big, great player to pair with Galladay in the short term and build around in the long term. 
So when I come up at 42, because I have a little bit of this flexibility, I'm going to go ahead and take a look down the board here at the wide receiver class. And I'm also going to take a look at the position that you drafted linebacker to see what might be available. Diami Brown, North Carolina. I've said this before. So personally, I can see how it aligns for a selection here. But even for the Giants, if they're saying they want to add dynamic playmakers, this is a great spot to do it in because after Diami Brown, you start to get into third rounds and some of those other names I've thrown out like Amon Ross St. Brown, Tylen Wallace. Those guys are going someplace a little bit ahead of it. So I think there's real value here. This is a guy that can do outside, inside work. I think that he would make a lot of sense. I pull the trigger on him at 42, and then I'll say, we'll line up my 55th with your 76th, Andy. And there at 49, this is where I look over at that defense, and I say, I got my edge rusher, but who am I pairing for coverage purposes in the middle of the field alongside of Blake Martinez, and who am I thinking I can build around going forward? Drew Cox out of LSU. Great opportunity to take a dynamic coverage, athletic sideline to sideline linebacker that basically directly in polar opposites complements what Blake Martinez is, right? Little stiffer, right. downhill, supports in the run game. So a real opportunity here for me to get Jabril Cox. And before I make that selection, as we've talked about just building these out around 42, let's say in general, these are the names that I think are worth keeping an eye on. You know, you you talk about taking an offensive lineman, taking a guard there, as you did with Wyatt Davis. You talk about maybe an inside linebacker, depending on what the first round is done. Jabril Cox does jump out. You mentioned Ronnie Perkins. I, I think, listen, he's got great grades as far as run and pass defense. You wonder about flexibility across the scheme, certainly. But the, these are the kind, you know, Liam Etchenberg is maybe a name that jumps out to some people as well as far as being an option. There's been some talk now with his shorter arm size that he would be a candidate candidate to kick into guard. But as we talked about last episode, right? Everybody's a candidate to kick inside. Like, hey, maybe you'll go inside. You go inside. Let's all go inside. You know, so it's almost like they're getting caught up in the in the COVID nineteen protocols. Let's just all go inside. You know, let's all go inside and we'll have a good time. So, but the, but these are, I think, the collection of names that that Giants fans should be familiar with there at the top of the second round. Because no matter what happens in the first, there is there is nice value pieces here. Maybe short of me saying a guy like Osai, right? If I hadn't gone Quiddy Pay, maybe he's on my board. But he's been going early, even into the upper 40s now. Yeah, and, and you look back to Monday, Joseph Osai is, is a guy that I saw that was on my board. And I was absolutely ecstatic to get him, um, especially because I went tackle first. So yes, addressing yes. the offensive line and then getting an edge rusher um, in, in the second round was huge. Now... I, I like that pick. The Diami Brown pick is great. I think we both know that the Giants are going to take a wide receiver in this draft. If they don't, I'd be stunned. Yeah. And my whole thing, thinking of this is if you take like a fifth or sixth or even like a seventh round flyer on, on a wide receiver, it, the chances of him making the roster aren't even that great just with the depth that we have. So if you're going to invest a pick in a wide receiver, make it count. Make it be a guy that – that is a top 10 wide receiver, top 15 wide receiver. So someone as, you know, as explosive as Diami Brown is something I like. And that brings me to my third round pick, which has Josh Palmer on the board, which gets me very excited, but I already took him. And that's what, you know, it's the Christina Aguilar, what a girl wants, what a girl needs. I want Josh Palmer. Dave Gettleman on the other hand says, you know what? I like those big bodied, strong wide receivers. They're like hog mollies on the outside. They run people over. I'm really oh, excited about those types of people. I know where you're going. 
In the third round, I believe, if available, the New York Giants will be selecting Nico Collins, wide receiver out of the University of Michigan. And this is the exact type of player you want. He has tremendous upside. He can uh, you know, potentially start in four set packages tomorrow. He has the ability to overtake Darius Slayton or, you know, Sterling Shepard moves on in a year and become one of those wide receivers in a three wide receiver set. This to me would, would be a home run hitting situation for Dave Gettleman. If he walks away with Micah Parsons, Wyatt Davis at guard, and then hits on a, a, on a wide receiver in the third round with tremendous upside at him. And I love it, by the way. I think, you know, he's been a guy that's fluctuated a little bit. He does, he is going to need, they say, a little time to refine himself. And that's all right, because you have this, this talent ahead of him. And I think in both instances, Diami Brown in the second round, or even Nico Collins, the things that you probably want to start thinking about if you're Giants fans, and this isn't just because it's a personal piece, Evan Ingram becomes more and more disposable. Maybe not, you know, in the short term, but you start to think about if it's Diami Brown, okay, you're going to want to get some four wide receiver sets out there, right? You're going to want to start to get dynamic. Like there's a world where they start moving towards 11 personnel where the two tight end sets don't matter as much. And if you're only going to have one tight end, it's probably going to be a guy like Kyle Rudolph, who's known to be a solid blocker, hold up for the run game as things get spread out, get Saquon Barkley off on the edge and still be serviceable in the pass catching game. So don't be surprised if, if one of these things works in tandem. As I come up on 76, and I will say, you can, you know, I had 42 and 49 there. You can go ahead and encompass these any way you want. If you wanted me to put the Dave Gettleman spin on it, the Giants take Quiddy Pay at 11, and they don't trade back at all. They want the edge rusher. That's who they desire. They're not worried about, you know, oh, he's 10, he's 10 slots down on the draft board. Okay, that's fine. They take, they take him there, and they only take a player like Diami Brown, and they don't get the chance to get Cox. That'd be fine. But I made I made that move and it allowed me to come up the board a little bit. And I can even still make the case that regardless of a trade down, I can package 76 and I can package 116. And that can allow me to get myself back into kind of a sweet spot here where as I scroll down the list, I come across. So we, we, we looked at defense getting the edge rusher. We talked about another weapon. Let's get more dynamic for Daniel Jones in his pivotal third year. But then we do look back at the offensive line, at just like you did uh, earlier at, at that 40-second pick with Wyatt Davis, and you say, well, what's the long term here? What's going to happen with a player like Nick Gates? Is he definitely coming back? And fifth-round pick Shane Lemieux, talented, but didn't necessarily doesn't necessarily mean we're, we're locked into him, just like Darius Slayton on the offensive side. That's where I see Creed Humphreys out of Oklahoma. This is a guy that is believed to be able to do everything on the inside, guard or center, and basically, you set it up so that you walk in the door and you say, hey, Creed Humphreys, if you win out at center, if we looks like you're just a natural stud there, which are all indications, hey, guess what, Gates? Kick on over. Give us a year at guard. Because in the, it, ultimately, as much as we've liked Gates, he may not be here again. This may not be second contract land for him. And if he plays well at right guard, maybe he will be back as our starting right guard now, right? So you start to flesh it out and solidify it. And I then I do think, I can live in the world where offensive line does take a bit of a back seat, and I think it's realistic to say maybe we're going to end up if you go weapons on defense and offense. The you know that's your value, that's your importance. You may have to push this back a little bit, and that's where moving up the board to make sure you get a guy like Creed Humphreys who can go anywhere from fifty to sixty-five kind of range. You're going to be just outside of that if you stay pat at seventy-six. So I make that move up the board, sacrifice my fourth rounder, and, and I get myself myself a quality starting interior lineman the more i'm seeing this the more i don't think they're gonna go with rashawn slater which 
I, you know, it's starting to make me think whether or not, you know, taking a tackle that early again for the second time is the right thing, but I'm sticking with it. That's what I want. That's what I need. But here we are. Yeah, I, I, listen, I, I think uh, th- there's a lot of and there's a lot of ways to finesse the board. So uh, you know, we round things out in the later rounds. I'm going to look at a tight end like John Bates. I'm going to look at a, a tackle like Robert Jones. I've done that a lot of times. And I think that that would make sense for the Giants as well to, to build and prepare for the absence of Evan Ingram next year and to have a backup swing tackle once Nate Solder is gone from this roster. But other guys, I think, to think about there and you can I know you still have your fourth round pick if you want to throw it out there. There are a handful of guys that I started to look at specifically when you talk about balancing it, right? So if I'm Joe Judge and I really do love Devonta Smith and he's there for me, now I don't know what's going to happen at the edge rush class there at the top of the second round. There are players like Patrick Johnson out of Tulane. He went 69th in this draft to the Bengals. I think he's a really he's a really good guy to consider. 255 is going to be able to play at that edge rusher. We've mentioned Cameron Sample before also from Tulane. And then there's even another player that I want to make sure uh, – Odenigbo, I believe, out of Vanderbilt. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Another edge rusher has some injury concerns. But these are guys into that third and fourth round that I think, depending on how the first two went, you might just fire. So in your case, right, say it ended up being the combination where it was uh, you, you take Parsons and then you take Wyatt Davis. Well, you still may want to have an edge rusher, right? Third and fourth round, you can fire a couple shots at that position and say, no, is he a quitty pay talent? Obviously not. But can we manufacture it knowing that we have talent like Leonard Williams and like Dexter Lawrence? I think you create the collective, right? Yeah, and, and that's the, the one name that I think I, I want to make sure that everyone highlights is Patrick Jones, um, the edge rusher out of the University of Pittsburgh. Now, the one knock on him, he's been falling down draft boards. They say that he fits perfectly in a, in a 4-3 as opposed to a 3-4. This is the guy that has amazing power and speed and strength. We're going to be kind of an amorphous 3-4 defense with how we move our linebackers around anyway. Taking a late 4th, 5th, even 6th round, depending on how far he actually falls in this draft, I think that would be a great addition to the room and creates just another compliment to Blake Martinez and Parsons or or other people that we've drafted. So be on the lookout. Patrick Jones, I think, is is a great pick. I wouldn't be surprised to see him creep into the 3rd round, but if he's there in the 4th or the 5th, I think that's the type of guy the Giants could take a, a flyer on, to your point, with edge rushers. The, the only thing that I really want to just continue to flesh out here from that standpoint is because a guy like Cameron Sample or a guy like Odadingbo out of uh, out of Vanderbilt, these are both going to be players that are big. They're 275, 280. The versatility piece on them, so when Andy says something like, well, they, these are some guys that might best be suited for 4-3 work. If, in the case of a Cameron Sample specifically, because I've liked him for a while now, he can put his hand in the dirt in a three technique. He can stand up on the outside. He can rush on the interior. So the way I look at him is kind of, hey, Patrick Graham, you want to flip over to that 4-3 and go alignment and go ahead and give yourself a real opportunity to stuff the run-up, right, or and to get after the quarterback. Well, now you could be looking at Leonard Williams and Cameron Sample on the outside, move inside Dexter Lawrence, bring in player X, as we know, with the collection of guys that they're kind of looking at here in the depth chart room. And you kind of roll from there, right? So there is versatility. And we've seen these guys. If you go watch tape on them, they are quick. Like They play lighter than 275, 280. They are in the vein of a Leonard Williams, though nobody has that kind of real freak combination of, of not just quickness for his size, but the length that Leonard Williams provides you is also what makes him so effective. So there are going to be options like that as the draft moves along. What we end up coming away with, 
is going to be Quiddy Pay, Diami Brown, Jabril Cox, Creed Humphreys, John Bates, and Robert Jones. Now, I can tell you with confidence that don't give me Jabril Cox. I'm still going to be happy that I got Quiddy Pay, and that feels like I've added to the defensive room. Uh, you can tell me that it's cost me those picks to get up to go get Creed Humphreys to make sure I got an offensive lineman. That works fine for me as well. The back end thing. So we mentioned this there earlier about wide receiver and what that could look like for the Giants and how it could impact an Evan Ingram, maybe even a Darius Slayton. But I'll say it again. I think that the Giants take a wide receiver early, second round, even third round, like Andy did with Nico Collins. I think the phone starts to ring, and I think you start to field offers on Evan Ingram. If you can get a fourth-round pick for him in this year's draft or maybe even next year's draft, and maybe you elevate the value of that selection by pushing it back a year, I think that they would do that. I think you'd be happy to still have Kyle Rudolph, uh, Caden Smith, and Toa Loa. Then at the back end of the draft, if you can get a guy like John Bates, who's a solid blocker, also athletic enough to get out in the pass game, Great. Bring him in, learn how to develop behind Kyle Rudolph for a year, and you can be the heir apparent in that position for us. So this is, again, how do you roll this thing over and create value throughout it? You know, I think Andy did the right, some some really smart things here in taking a guy like Wyatt Davis, someone that we've shied away from because of injury, and maybe my board fell, you know, closer to what I'm in. And, and from a Giants perspective, the John Bates, Robert Jones, right? Robert Jones, I can say the Giants, you should keep your eye on for him. John Bates, maybe that isn't going to be what they do. but it's come in somewhat close to alignment. And I just think positional value, that's what it really comes down to. And the first two picks in Quiddy Pay and Diami Brown, those are the ones that get the best draft grade overall for me. So listen, we work our way through it. We try to bring as much value out of this draft and it will be interesting to see what do the New York football giants feel at 11? I, I, the one wrinkle, we said they traded back there when they had the opportunity with the Arizona Cardinals. There is some level of thinking that the New York football giants could be there at 11 and Sertan could be there and they would act, they would be legitimately considering it Friday morning. What's going to be really nice by the way is obviously we'll get the first round pick from the giants. So then we can go ahead and reset that draft board and start to look about day, day two and say, now what do the giants want to accomplish in rounds two and three based on what they did at the 11th overall pick. So that's going to be a really fun Friday show. I'm excited about that. It has been weird. I, I said this to my buddy. Uh, everyone seems to be suffering draft, you know, draft fatigue, the prospects. Oh, what could be all the scenarios. And I think the lack of the combine, that, that's what's really brutalized this to me because the combine gives you another sample size on players that you start to debate and shift and move them. And even though it may seem incidental, just getting the footage, we all get to watch the combine on the NFL network. You get to see, you get to see run rich run as he does his 40 time and all that good stuff. Uh, when you don't have that now, everything just feels like, remember those talking points that we came out of the college season with that's still what I'm massaging here. And I'm telling you that I went back and I watched tape and this is what I thought. Right. And it just becomes somewhat cycling over over this run here so the lack of the of the true combine and having to go off of pro days which were being dismissed by so many people as saying hey you can't trust the 40 times from pro days yeah you know it's okay but they're really it's controlled conditions this is why you want them in that indianapolis uh, out there with the colts and saying lucas oil stadium and saying hey like you're in here everyone has the exact same 
playing field and we're going to run you through all these reps and you're going to be there together. And there is a little bit more of a heightened stage there. You don't have your hometown receivers. You don't have your, you know, your home stadium from your college days. So you are thrust into a little bit more, you know, pressure scenario where you feel like it's ratcheted up and, and all eyes are on you. So losing that seems to have diminished it. Um, and, and it's just, it, it, it's, it's been weird. I'll, I'll put it that way. We will, as we say, be back in at least on Friday morning, breaking down what the Giants do tomorrow night and possibly even live. So be sure to check out on social media, follow the podcast wherever you get it. Leave a five-star review if you're so inclined. It really does help us as we try to move up the boards and just continue to establish ourselves. We, we love doing the work, and we hope that you guys are enjoying it as well. On social media also, just real quickly here, uh, on Instagram, we're going to lay out I said what we did on Monday, what we did today, but basically a collection of names for and from Andy and myself, two to three in the first round, second round, third round, fourth round. You're going to end up with, you know, eight, nine, ten guys across those first three, four rounds. The guys that we think here's names to know, right? Here's names that we think could align with the Giants, could be nice value picks for them. And just like last season, we're trying to hang our hat. I, I, I went deep for Carter Coughlin last year. I'm going to try to live in that fourth round and maybe find that deal of the draft with the New York football Giants and the fans who get excited about bringing in. And as Andy McElwain would want, need, and demand that you know, let's go Big Blue. <laughs>